How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 128. Very nice. I almost forgot myself just then. What what episode? What episode number it is. I honestly, most weeks, do not know what episode <laughs> it is. But do, do you, like, check them before you just, like... No, you just, just guess. guess. <laughs> and there have been times I've been wrong. Um, A few weeks ago, yeah, there was one. Um, but, no, um, I don't check them. I listen, when I listen spot. to the podcast, not that... Um, you listen to yourself often? Listen to me say. <laughs> I, honest question, Jake. Do you listen to our whole podcast, though, like like after you've edited it? Do you um, listen to it on Spotify? I've do you find it not, strange? Not so much anymore. I think I did used to, like in the first year or two, mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, but to be fair, you were editing virtually all of them mm-hmm. at that time. Um, and now it's more, I think... Yeah, as as we go, I think less and less. Mm. Sometimes I like go way back and listen to something from like seventy episodes ago, um, because I'm trying to find like a specific mm. thing. But otherwise, no, nah, not not so much anymore. Yeah, which is, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I well, listen. I mean, I listen to them. Uh, I listen to bits. I normally right. don't listen to me personally. Do not listen to the first half of the show. I normally listen to the second half of the show. Okay, or more. interesting. Um. I like, especially if I, we've had like a really effective conversation that mm. I might want to call back to at a at a later point. But okay, um, the 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 thing is, the first half of the show is always so based in the week, mm. um, so it's obviously not as interest like as interesting to follow what we watch during the week, right? Um, compared to our more critical side in the second half of the show. Just thought I'd start off with a posing question. No, but, but oh, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. I thought you you raised your phone. I thought you that oh, was well, the posing question. No, no, that was my posing question. Yeah, we've already said the posing yeah, question. Exactly. Yeah, there we go. Uh, That's fair enough. Do you have any trivia? Speaking of the film of the week, I do. I do. Yeah, trivia for the film of the week. Rear window, of course. Alfred Hitchcock's rear window, and of course, Alfred Hitchcock is uh, very infamous for being very controlling. You know, mm. he's very specific. And uh, the trivia that I had. Was uh, and this is a thing. I hope we don't double up in any way, shape, or form. But but we'll, let's find out. We will find out exactly. Um, of course, Alfred Hitchcock highly controlled set in the sense that the um this entire film virtually takes place in a single courtyard, and that entire courtyard and the adjacent apartment that uh, our protagonist lives in was all built within the uh, I believe is the Paramount Studios lot. Um, so everything you see is completely constructed. Um, including a massive drainage system, which they did specifically for the scenes where it rained. And I found it interesting in the scene when it rained with the couple that were fighting over the bed sheets that were sleeping on the the uh, the, uh, the fire escape, mm-hmm. that they were actually wearing earpieces where Hitchcock could talk to them and they were actually given different instructions, hence why them fighting over the pillows and where to go was fairly authentic because they were told opposite things. Mm. So, hey, a little interesting trivia there for you interesting well speaking of this film uh i found this one really interesting the film negative was damaged considerably as a result of color dye fading as early as the 1960s nearly all of the yellow image dyes had faded despite fears that the film had been irrevocably damaged preservation experts were able to restore the film nearly to its original condition yeah that's awesome was that criterion that did that it might have been earlier than criterion I find that really interesting, though. Yeah. Like, and that's sort of the fragility of that time. Um, we don't really have this problem as much anymore. I guess we kind no. of have a, 
data corruption is probably the closest thing that we'd ever come to a form of mm. uh, worry with our post-production considerations. But obviously, you know, working with film, it's a different time. And of course, I thought that would tie into the fact that this does play into our countdown through the decades retrospective. Mm. Um, obviously, talking about 1950s cinema. Yeah, no, exactly. And I've always been fascinated by that aspect of cinema where I'm the kind of guy that's like, that, that's the thing I love about cin- cinema is the idea of people bringing their own experiences, watching a single film. Like, this film is unaltered and everyone gets the same experience. But that's not true at all because you're right. Film does get damaged or, you know, a die process does go wrong. And mm. the version that I watched on stand, for instance, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, a restored version or the Criterion's restoration version. Like, I, it gets very... Uh, confusing but it's very interesting not to mention that there are certain aspects of the film that we can clearly see that film reel manipulation has occurred Mm. in certain shots because of a certain diegetic effect that is trying to be created in the latter stages of that film but we will talk a little bit more about that yeah we're getting quite deep aren't we (laughs) later into the show (laughs) so let's bring it back to Uh, what we've caught in the last week jake but i gotta ask you first is the film on the 1100 films you well, must watch. So this poster. one actually might be the first one that's a little bit like mm, potential because mm, okay. I feel like on the 1100 it would be Psycho would be up there and the birds would probably be up there. Right. I'm going to say yes. It is. Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> 1954. Because I have, I have some uh, bold statements I will be making oh. in the, the second half of the show. A little teaser right there. I like it. Yeah. So, Jake, what have you caught in the last week? Yeah, so I haven't caught much. I'll quickly start. I want to ring through this quickly because I know I promised many times now that I was going to stop talking about The Office because I've been sort of dribbling through the ending. I did watch that David Brent Life on the Road sort of spin-off feature film that was mentioned. It's very bad. <laughs> so this is um, very, very much a spin-off in the sense that Ricky Gervais, David Brent, is the only character that's come on from The Office. And it's a very different tone. Where it's so no still- cameos? No, no cameos, nothing like that. Um, there is a cameo, well, not a cameo, one of the dudes who's in the 2013 short film is also in this, but it's all about the music tour and him going on that, but there's just little differences to it. The cinematography is a bit more clean, uh, where clearly they've got like these higher quality digital cameras now. And But they're still doing the same type of effect? Well, it's still a mockumentary yeah. by trade, but it everything just feels a little cleaner, like the whip pans and the, and the way the camera's moving. It's just a little too clean, where it's like, it doesn't have that authenticity, mm-hmm. you know, that e- even the US office would have to essentially, like the cameras, like they're running around or during the, the the fire drill, someone knocks the camera person over and mm-hmm. they fall. Like that, just that authenticity is not there anymore. It's a little too clean and too sharp. Um, I also thought the comedy was just way off. And I think the reason is when you watch either of the office adaptations to the UK or the US, and I know there's other, there's like an Indian version of the office and stuff, but we're just focusing on the two mm-hmm. for now. Um, usually the awkward humor comes from, you know, a few characters participating. So it's like, it's awkward because only like two people are making this joke or, you know, it's funny because even though Michael is saying something dumb, Michael Scott, I'm talking about, you know, Dwight will be there laughing with him or laughing Mm. at his jokes, you know, in this, however, there is no one else. It's just Ricky Gervais making an ass of himself. And there's just the fact that there's no... All the reaction is just deadpan or pure hatred. It's just like, ugh. Like, it just has that extra grossness that wasn't quite there in the other mm. one. So, I I just, I thought it was very rough um, in that way. And it's it wasn't, it wasn't funny. 
It wasn't interesting. It wasn't aspirational mm-hmm. because the whole thing is about him trying to be a rock star, even though he's clearly not a rock star. And they barely even, you know, did a five degree turn into the, well, at least he chased his dreams and that's nice. Like they did that right at the end when it's convenient, but otherwise the film is just a slog and, and just kind of depressing in a not great way. Um, the other one I watched is Luca. This is the new Disney Pixar film. Mm. And uh, have you seen this yet? I've not yet. Okay. Um, my Disney Plus experiences of the last week have been limited to watching the first three episodes of Loki. And, ah, right, of course, yeah. Uh, watching episode nine of The Bad Batch. Which, what, what is The Bad Batch? What is The I, Bad I, Batch? You've told me about this, have you? Uh, I think I've t- talked about it briefly. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, before we jump into the Luca conversation, because mm, yeah. I am really interested to hear about this, because yep. I probably will be catching it in this preceding week. Cool. Right. Um, it's basically, what it is, is it's, uh, there are three animated canon shows in the Star Wars universe now. Oh, that's right. That Star are, Wars, we have talked about this. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Star Wars Rebels, uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars, and now Disney's A Bad Batch. And obviously right. Dave Filoni has become the creative head of pretty much anything Star Wars. Him and John Favreau are massive, obviously, endorsers and, and mm. pushers of it. And obviously, Filoni has now created, you know, The Mandalorian has had two seasons, the, the Ahsoka show is starting, which who is a character that was completely created by Filoni in Clone Wars originally. Is she getting her own show now? Yeah. Oh, did not know that. And it ties into one of the other animated shows, the Star Wars Rebels, mm. because the ending of that show ties into her live action show. And, and to think that this journey from animated shows to live action... Um, and Bad Batch obviously follows sweet with the the animated style, but follows a different group of characters that are introduced in the, from the Clone Wars into this. So it's a spin-off show technically, right? Um, but they all kind of they're just they're, basically they're all just there to continue to bolster and enrich that lore and mm. and that star you know the Star Wars lore and. Actually, the Clone Wars show elevates the prequel films. Like, it does improve all three of them dramatically. Um, particularly the third one. It really kind of takes it from a good, seldom good film to a really good film. Right. Because of the knowledge you can have outside of that film. And I, I find... And sort of the MCU is kind of doing that now with uh, these shows. They're kind of just building up previous films through retrospective uh, perspectives, I think, and, right. and and obviously exploring these characters a lot more. And man, the rain is really yeah. starting to come down. <laughs> I wonder if the rain's coming for it. Hopefully, it's real bad. Um, the one good thing is yeah, we should be able to noise reduce that. Um, cause yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll listen back to it. Yeah. It'll be fine. Because um, <laughs> Loki really does that. I don't know if you've caught the first. Episodes. I haven't seen the third episode yet. It's good, but th- this is my question though with, with Loki, and this is the same thing with Avengers Endgame and how it has elements that make you, like, make for the Dark World required viewing, is it just referencing things for the sake of referencing? Or is it is it actually making the previous product better? Because I don't see how or why it would be. In Loki's case. In Loki's case. In Star Wars, I can definitely point out points. These MCU shows, probably not as much. I think it... I think the Dark World stuff, particularly the stuff with his mum, is is used for character development in the show right now. From right. so, I don't know if that improves the. Sh- yeah, you're probably right. It probably doesn't really improve the films. 
uh, from the past. Yeah, but... it's just sort of using elements previously explored and then going deeper with them. But so... Avengers Endgame does not make For the Dark World a better movie. It just kind of annoyingly makes it required viewing. <laughs> so what is your what is your take on Loki? Are you enjoying it? On Loki? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, I saw. I haven't watched any of the new. I haven't watched any of it since last week's episode. So my thoughts haven't changed. I still. Yeah. I I like the wider lore stuff that it's exploring, but I still have very specific issues with like the way it's directed and just like yeah. the the quirky banter between the characters. I'm just like, eh, I don't know. I just I don't I don't I don't get into it. Well, but, from Loki to Luca, Jake. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Luca. I I kind of haven't. It's interesting because even with Soul and and Inside, not Inside Out. Um, what was the other one? Onward. Mm-hmm. Like and, and Pixar being just churning out films like three in the last eighteen months. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I I don't think they've actually ever put that many films out in it in that amount of a span. Yeah, the closest stint I could think is that uh. Uh, from o like o six to o eight, I think they put out three or four, but that's still not nearly as many. That's as... still one a year. Yeah, but we're talking about three films in like what is it, sixteen months? Because yeah. the, the last one would have been like March, April mm-hmm. for onward. So twelve. Yeah, you're looking at like a fourteen, fifteen month span. Three films. That's insane. That's pretty crazy. Why you you look at like the Cars era, Ratatouille, Wally? That's one film a year. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's still a pretty impressive output, especially because the quality of those films are so good. Um, I don't necessarily agree in terms of quality for these films. Now, we've talked about Soul. And Onward. And, we were, and Onward, and especially Soul, because it was so widely renowned and people loved it and it won Oscars. It, it's important to say that neither of us were that impressed with Soul. Yeah, I, I think we were left... Um at best kind of putting it somewhere in the middle uh, mm. of the 20 or so films that it, it goes up against. It, it didn't... Well, more they just didn't do any of those ideas as well as their previous films did. Yeah, which we go into quite... And do you feel Luca fits a bit more into that, continues that trend? Yeah, I just... It continues a trend, all right? The trend of... I don't get why people are so enamored with these films because uh, Luca has a fantastic... Letterbox score, it's like in the four, like 4.1 or something. People just rave about it and how sweet and heartwarming it is. And I'm like, I guess it is. But this is so many, this is so many things and issues that I, that I had with it. I just like, I, how is this? I'm like, do people have short term memory spans? Mm-hmm. Like, this film is not as good as half the other Pixar films that they've put out. You know, so, so to explain, it's a, very literal fish out of water story, the pun intended. Mm-hmm. It's about these two fish monsters who become friends when they go out into the surface, which they're not allowed to. Their parents forbid them from doing that. They turn into humans. And I, I won't go too far into it, but it is a story about their friendship, which is strange because I thought their friendship was shockingly thin. Mm-hmm. And I think that's in part due to the pacing of the film. I think the film is atrociously fast. Like the amount that happens in the first 12 minutes from establishing the world, establishing the character and their families, the threat of what it is to go up into the surface, um, crossing that threshold. We're getting into hero's journey lines here. Befriending Alberto. You know, that like all of these ha- things happen in the first 12 minutes. What happens in the first 12 minutes of Up? We get that heartbreaking montage. Mm. And then the actual story starts. The real plot begins after 12 minutes. The point in this film when you can say the, the threshold's been crossed and we now understand sort of what the journey's about, about yeah. 12 minutes into Luca, 
that's about 25 minutes and up when you when you were finally in the air and we see Russell is actually aboard the flying house. Like, that is literally more than double the length. So my question is, why are we speeding through the first act mm-hmm. to a ridiculous like where I don't have time to understand any of the frets or any of the characters? So by the time we get to the end and all of these you know investments pay off, I'm like, I don't care about this relationship. Mm. I really don't, you know? It, it, it goes through very little turmoil. It feels like a forced um, third wheel situation when Julia is entered. Is, is Julia the name? I think it's spelled for G, but it is Julia. Um, and I, I won't go into too much because I know you want to watch it mm. and I won't spoil it too much. But there was just a lot of things here where I was like, I don't understand why I'm meant to care about any of this. Well, it's going to be pretty hard to beat things like Coco for me. So, um... <laughs> But that's the thing. Like, Coco, it breathes a little more. It does. It lets you I time. think they, there are some serious moments of, like, lull and introspection and character development and the relationship um, that Miguel develops mm. um, in that is way more natural, I think. And the only times where it's more phonetically paced are when he feels like a fish out of water. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that, I think it's an immaculately paced um, film, that one. So, and I think, you know, a lot of uh, Pixar films are very well paced. Um, so it's a, a bit of a strange thing that has kind of happened, I feel, with, these you know last two or three ones which have not been bad but like you said they're, they're, they've got uh, they're at this point now where they're kind of touching on similar themes or, or yep. from previous films but previous films more potently delivered the lines and i think i uh yeah it'll be interesting to see if this trend keeps going is this is this a lull period are we in a lull period for pixar films i don't know i mean you mo- most people would say no because most people love soul and they love this film i actually just checked it's a 3.9 but that's still a very high score mm. for letterboxd um i just i don't and care it's just onward and then on top of that toy story 4 and yeah and at least toy story 4 as much as i really hated some of the story elements at least it looks gorgeous you're sitting there in the theater watching. You're like, this looks like the animation's blowing your mind. I didn't get that here. Now that might be my Disney Plus stream just wasn't streaming at high enough quality. Sure. And that's not my fault because it doesn't give you bloody streaming quality options. I yeah. always turn them up very really high. And we have great internet here, so it's like, why wouldn't you just stream it at a flex decent? No, but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> is it? <laughs> is you're gonna you're gonna distribute your film? You can't watch it in theaters. It has to be on Disney Plus. It's free, so your your expectation is a lot of people are gonna see it let it run at a high quality mm. you know it kind of everything just looks slightly blurred it's just the quality's not quite there and i'm like at least toy story 4 the animation's like super impressive and then here there was nothing impressive about it i mean you look at animated films especially from decades and decades ago every frame was about impressing the audience doing something that we didn't think we could with animation mm-hmm. and i still think pixar does that and a lot i mean even soul looks excellent mm-hmm you know, even even if it's like kind of humanoid skin tones and, and, and how lighting bounces off that, even if it's very realistic, naturalistic, it's still super impressive. And I didn't get that from here. I thought the score was just too quiet. I actually do like the score of this film, but I have to listen to it on YouTube, separated from the film to even hear it because it's so mixed in with the rest of the score or the soundtrack rather. I'm like, I'm not feeling the emotions I'm meant to be feeling with this. There were just a lot of issues I had with that and I wonder like was this a first time director and it was or at least a first time feature director 
and even like moments of comedy where like characters exit one part of the frame and they come out another like it wasn't funny it just kind of threw me off a little it was like oh that was a bit of a jarring edit oh like it didn't the, the humor didn't quite translate yeah there, there are moments of child abuse which is quite funny I did laugh at that. And if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. But there are a lot of kids that get kind of abused and it's it's done in a funny way. I'm okay. sick. I'm a sick man. Yes. <laughs> well, the only film I caught in the last week was uh, a 20... I'm going to say 2017 release. Okay. Uh, was Straight Outta Compton. Oh. This is my first time watching this film. Very nice. Um, I really enjoyed this film. So, uh, you know, mm. anyone who knows me knows I am... That is... Rap is not my go-to music genre. It's um, not ska jazz. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. Or country. Or, or like, country, yeah. yeah. Um, so, for me... Obviously, Walk the and, Compton. <laughs> and to be honest, I didn't know next to anything about Dr. Dre mm. and, and Easy, uh, you know, like... Um, easy and and uh, Ice Cube, Ice, Ice Cube. I knew of Ice Cube, but Ice Cube, uh, the Ice Cube I know is the. Are we there? <laughs> he's kind of the guy who I know he's a rapper, but he's in funny movies. Like the the, the first thing I think of when I think of Ice Cube is Twenty One Jump Street or Twenty Two oh, Jump yeah. Street, and he is <laughs> really great. funny in it. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like, and he's in those a lot of those kind of dumb comedy films, and it's. So it's it's interesting to follow like these three that I yeah like I said I didn't know much about any of them um, I knew a couple of their songs right. um, but uh, obviously yeah it was it was awesome watching following the rise and sort of the 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 rise of NWA and then mm. following them over the course of their their careers from like the mid late eighties to the mid nineties and um, what I liked about it was how they managed to, particularly with the three that I've just talked about, give them all the same amount of screen time, but it was motivated. It wasn't like the right. Bohemian Rhapsody thing where it's like, let's give the band members some screen time because they're executively producing this film <laughs> and we need to remind everyone that Queen wasn't just Freddie Mercury, even though most people know that Queen was just Freddie Mercury. Um, oh, no. And whereas obviously you can make a very strong argument that all three of them those three i mean there's five of them but those three especially are very prominent uh musicians both in that group and actually preceding that group and um i i find it really interesting i mean ice cube goes on like a huge i mean he wins an oscar he makes a makes a film and uh boys in the hood which i do want to watch um it's very good yeah boys in the hood's pretty good movie yeah Uh, so kind of a crazy um you know, like following the three career, and obviously, obviously, quite has quite a sad ending, and mm. um, with yeah, my my question, I don't know if you know the answer. Did you watch the director's cut or the regular cut? I watched the cut on Netflix. Whatever okay. that is, two hours. It was two hours ten minutes, so I think it was. Oh, the okay, that's theatrical. Yeah, because I I watched the extended cut, and I'm walking away, be like, probably should have watched the shorter version. Okay. I only watched <laughs> so the yeah the two hour ten one. Um. Because I think the director's is two hours thirty-seven or something. Yeah, like. it's too long. It's um, too long. Yeah, and I actually, and I'm, uh, I can attest to that because I think this film was good at two hours ten. I probably could have cut maybe ten minutes out somewhere oh, in there and got yeah. it get it to two hours. Jim Marty's performance is really good. Oh, he's great. Yeah, um, he's like their manager. 
it's just it's a strong film. It's a very strong musical biopic film, and I love films where I I go into a world, particularly if it's a biopic, a world that I have no clue about. Mm, yeah, and I get to explore that because that whole um, side of the music industry, um, just these 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 stars, I knew next to nothing about them other than their names. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. And I knew a couple of their songs. And I admit, I was I was enjoying the music. I literally liked the music by the end of it. I was like... Nice. So, um, I know I got a lot of positive praise when it came mm. out. So, um, I don't think it won any Oscars. I think it got nominated for a couple. Maybe, yeah. I mean, that's it's not a very Oscar film. No. But I think, I think yeah, I think a lot of people were really happy when it came out mm. that it was not whether it was like good or bad, but it felt quite authentic and it didn't feel like a Bohemian Rhapsody where it was like trying to put them in too good of a light. Like I think it showed the the drama between the members quite well mm, and how they sort of split too, off. Yeah. yeah. So uh, definitely for sure. It's uh, funny because down at GTM a few years back when I went, they actually had like 5% of UWA on stage. And I was like, I don't know what 5% that is up there, but. Oh, like NWA? NWA, sorry. What did I say? Yeah. I said, yeah. UWA. <laughs> I got the yeah. university on my mind. Five <laughs> percent of the university. Five percent of the university. No, no, no. Um, like but one, I, one, one of the members. Yeah, I think it's like literally one of the members. Uh. And he's like, "I'm the guy. I'm the guy from NWA, everyone." And and I found I got a Snapchat of like a bunch of cops watching and like dancing to it. I was like, "That's funny. That's, that's funny. I'll make a Snapchat out of that." Especially when you watch the movie. <laughs> exactly. No uh, worries. Well, uh, that's all I watched though. Yeah, no worries. Well, um, in terms of career updates, it's kind of interesting because you've uh, you finished your prac. I did. Your long-standing prac. I did. I had a lot of fun and will miss all, all the aspects of it. Yeah. I loved it so much. Being a media teacher is fun. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's work, but it's like, you know, it's very rewarding to sort of talk and explore films. Yeah. Um, And it's nice to know that uh, some of them are actually listening. So <laughs> that is pretty cool. Especially my best behavior. Yeah, exactly. Nah, that's awesome. Um, I don't have much to say. I will actually have a lot to say next week. Um, in a, in a way, I think some people aren't expecting the move, and I actually I need to tell you all about it after Z because that sounds so intense. It, it's a we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But um, yeah, just uh, just some big moves. I was gonna say big career moves, but not not necessarily. We'll get there next week, Zeke. Very, very we'll intriguing. Next week. <laughs> well, I guess it is time for us to move into our film of the week. We're going to the 1950s for our countdown through the decades retrospective. Jake, what are we watching? This week on the show, Zeke, watching Rear Window. And finally, my own favorite, Rear Window. I play a wheelchair-bound journalist observing life across the courtyard. My girlfriend is the enchanting Grace Kelly. Where's that wonderful music coming from? Uh, some songwriter over there in the studio apartment. Wow. Wait a minute, there is something. I've seen it through that window. I've seen bickering and family quarrels and mysterious trips at night, knives and saws and ropes. And now since last evening, not a sign of the wife. All right, now you tell me where she is. Let's go down and find out what's buried in the garden. Why not? Meet me in the bar at the Albert Hotel. Do it right away. Why should I? Little business meeting. 
To me, this is Hitchcock at his best. Lisa Doyle! Professional photographer Jeff is stuck in his apartment, recuperating from a broken leg. Out of boredom, he begins to spy on his neighbours and comes across a shocking revelation. That's, that's, I don't think that's Hitchcock. As music. we discussed at the start of the show, this film is directed by none other than Alfred Hitchcock. And it's our first Hitchcock film of the show. That is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. Mm. This is my second ever Hitchcock film to watch. I've oh. watched Psycho now and this, and I've watched Half of the Birds. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, when I was very young. And then just, yeah, didn't get to the second half. I got to the bit when the birds attack. That's, oh, the, the, the titular um, characters. I, I will revisit it. Um, I actually, the funny thing was watching this film, it kind of made me want to go down to, because I know Stan pretty much has like a Hitch, Hitchcock collection of Basically, films. Basically, yeah. Um, it did actually make me want to watch like Vertigo and, and go mm. down that rabbit hole because... I really enjoyed this film, Jake. Yeah, awesome. Um, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was really great. I um, So this is my third Hitchcock one because I have seen Psycho and, and uh, Vertigo. I haven't seen The Birds yet. I do want to. They're actually playing, um, well, today, Monday, they're actually playing Vertigo on the big screen at Luna. There you go. So that's pretty cheeky. Well, actually, now I don't, I'm, I'm guessing with masks you can. Mm. I'm actually not sure what the go is with that, with that nice. anymore, but didn't talk about that. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, later in the show, of course, we'll talk about what's coming new to cinemas, and mm-hmm. um, it might actually be a little more varied. We'll, we shall see. But no, I I really dug this film. First time I'd seen it, and um, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite Hitchcock film. I think I I have very specific reasons why I respect each one that I have seen. Okay. Um, I probably would say Psycho is my favorite, even though I think the ending specifically is just such an exposition dump that it really like really bothered me mm-hmm. um i'm pretty sure that wasn't hitchcock's <laughs> choice no to have that i ending. think i've gone on to say that that was not his choice that was the producer's choice yeah no um because it it, it really does harpen the film it's like oh here it is here's the answer on a silver platter and like everything up into that was he lives up to his name the master of suspense and what what i find interesting about this film is that i don't look at it as impressive from a suspense Stanfield, because for the majority of this film, I don't think it is suspenseful. It's it, it's a bit of a thriller, mm. and it's very intriguing what's going on. It's about human behavior, as as, as Tommy Wiseau might say. It's about human behavior. Um, but I was more impressed by just what they were able to do with the camera and and the storytelling on what I assume is a very small budget. I did check; it is a one million dollar budget. Yeah. So for inflation, that's about ten million today USD. Um, so if you consider that and the fact that James Stewart and Grace Kelly were, you know, th- these weren't early days for them. They were both in their prime mm-hmm. at this stage, especially James Stewart, who was a leading man over a decade before that point. Um, you know, you take their pay slips out of the equation of a $1 million budget. It's a very, very cheap film. And it's very impressive. I love this film. I think it's great. <laughs> um, and you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of the whole Grace Kelly, James Stewart. Um, I think this film is very well written and for its, um, obviously its power of using just one location so effectively Mm. and exploring literally every facet, every, every window, every apartment and, and, you know, exploring them so readily that 
we actually have a collection of smaller storylines happening mm. while this big overarching story is happening. And it is an incredibly suspenseful film um, that uses every element of its characters to the best of their ability um, while still retaining a hero's journey and a very interesting uh, suspenseful plot. Suspense yeah. plot. And um, I just was really impressed with this film. I think I prefer this film over Psycho. Interesting. Personally. Okay. Um, uh, there's a lot to like about this film. I think the perform- the two leading performances from, yeah, like you said, Grace Kelly and, and uh, James Stewart are great. Um, I think that the narr- the, it's a very tight narrative. Um, there are quite suspenseful moments when you think about that the vessel for delivering this story is obviously Stewart's character, you know, who is confined to, for the entire movie, to a wheelchair. Um, which is so interesting that a two-hour film can be delivered from a man literally sitting in a chair for yeah. Well, it, just the fact that that happened in the in the nineteen fifties as well, where it's like now you see young filmmakers being very smart with small budgets and doing things like that. And my my immediate thought was buried, you know, the Ryan Reynolds film where that takes that all takes place in a coffin, <laughs> and they still make it suspenseful and interesting. But I think what's especially special about this film is that it does it in such an early um stage mm-hmm. and that how he uses the camera to sort of pan and tilt and scan across you know this little courtyard which you know we talked about earlier in our trivia is is just one giant set in the paramount studios but you're right the camera never leaves the apartment with very rare exception during the final confrontation but every view we get outside the apartment is through the window, whether it's like a telephoto lens zooming in when he's using the binoculars to motivate it, or yeah, or it's a clean pan or a tilt or just any of those things. And and you don't really notice it. The film occasionally draws attention to it. Like you have that jib shop that's, it's the same shot they use over and over again, but obviously different circumstances, different days. It's very purposeful that it's the same shot, different story. Um, so it draws attention to itself in that way, but otherwise it flows really well. Mm. Like the pace, it's never boring, and I thought that was just really impressive. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's exactly what it uh, what it is. Um, this film is got um, obviously not just uh, the two leads, but a rel- you know a quite a uh, adept ensemble cast. I mm. mean every character that is in you know Stuart's um, gaze is unique and actually serves as commentary for Kelly and, mm. and Stuart's characters multiple times as you know we sort of follow their stories through this this film and I think that the this film gives a whole new meaning to the whole nosy neighbor uh <laughs> you know, point, um, and particularly like the, the commentary in the latter stages in the film when, uh, you know, a tragic death befalls, uh, uh, a dog of Mm. the neighborhood, uh, the commentary that, that, um, the owner has on, on the rest of the neighborhood, not being nice or caring and, and she's shunning them because they all actually keep to themselves yet. They're all looking out. They actually all at points in time are looking out to see what everyone else is up to. Yeah. Um, What's well, interesting because I didn't pay too much. They're, you're right. They all have their own little stories. Like you have the musician who he goes on to end up um, 
influencing the girl who's having like those you know dates with herself in the room like they all have their little stories that interconnect and have their little arcs that that pay off at the end of the film but i like i wasn't really paying attention to Mm -hmm. any of those specifically because we talk about how they're almost related uh to the journey that that um jeffries is having with lisa but i i thought that was projection i thought it was almost like there was a passiveness to it where Jeffries is seeing, oh, well, this is what this relationship over here looks like. Here's this newlywed couple through this window and then projecting those insecurities or those thoughts that he's having onto his own relationship. Now, I would have loved to have seen a version of this film where he is like a true loner, where he has like no real personal relationships or friends. But I'm also like, well, I also get it because there's plenty to have with Lisa and even Stella, the nurse. and Yeah, I think he is quite... Like at the start of the film, I think that his antisocial behavior does come through. It's first engagement okay. that we see with with Lisa, where he's very dismissive of her. Like, you know, Lisa obviously really cares about her, and um, this film is not a love story. In, in no. fact, within the first twenty minutes, we hear Lisa say she loves, you know, Jeff and um, Jeffries, and and. Um, he is, you know, always constantly, he actually talks her down quite a bit. You know, she's this mm. quite accomplished fashion, um, fashion like, something or other fashion yeah. star. <laughs> and she, she obviously works very hard and she's actually incredibly intelligent and sharp as, as the film unfolds. And very think, sharp, witty dialogue, um, <laughs> through and, and through. And it is interesting that, that the, the relationship they they have is never overtly super romantic. In fact, mm. that uh, I think he warms to her a lot more over the course of this investigation that they yeah. undertake because he starts to see, oh, well, she is, like, she obviously has to do a lot of, pun intended, the footwork. Um, <laughs> as they oh, invest- that got funnier and funnier the more I thought about that. Um, uh because obviously he's confided to his his wheelchair. So her she goes from being useful to cooperative and they end up you know working out together and obviously if you it'd be interesting I would love to hear your take on the final shot of the film what what you believe that okay. that, that scene entails the epilogue scene um because I think this film is they use this investigation as a as a way to kind of build their relationship to a point where they actually do fully concede that they are in one together. Um, Mm. uh, I think at the start, he is very dismissive of her and in the sense that he doesn't, he doesn't think that she could rough it. Like he roughs it. And, you know, instead she uses her own abilities. She doesn't go to his level. She doesn't transform for him. No, no. She, just shows what she's capable of and he's the one who actually undergoes the change because he sees that her skills her know-how and what she's worked for is just as beneficial and Mm. is not he he starts off a bit of an elitist and then it's the transformation i think that he he over the course of the film yeah particularly and i think their relationship is one of the the major important things um in the film yeah well to tie back to what you said where this isn't a love story it's not a love story in the sense that the guy has to win the girl Mm -hmm. but 
you know, there, there is a romanticism that comes later on in the journey because you're right, they start in a place where he doesn't feel he's good enough for her or that she's too prim and perfect and wears these, you know, gowns mm-hmm. and these floral dresses and, you know, things that are... She says something like they're worth like $1,100 or something mm-hmm. at one point. Um, and it, I think that is sort of the key is to look... When you ask me what do I make of that final shot, I mean the keys and all the costuming. Because you have Jeffries, who's you know obviously he's confined to a wheelchair, so he's wearing his pajamas. But I think that's sort of what he says when he's, like you said, getting into the rut, you know, and and calling out her rich, white privilege, was it's such a dick move on his part. But that but that's the point. He's using it as an excuse mm. to drive her away. But then as the investigation goes on, and she, you're right, she gets you know muddy in the dirt and gets involved, and she ends up you know, doing parkour across the street and yeah. actually breaking into this guy's house. And, um, and Sorry? And yeah, and then she almost puts herself in harm's way and then in those, you know, in Stuart's re- you know, acting in that scene as mm. Jeffrey, I mean, Jeffrey reacting to the fact that she might suffer the same fate as as this uh, um, wife of the man living across the... Right, the, yeah. Which is obviously well, that she might be murdered. Yeah. She might be murdered. You know, his reaction is says it all at that point. He doesn't want to lose her. Yeah, and I think what I make of that final shot, like I said, I think it comes back to the costuming because even though he's now he's in two casts, which is funny, mm-hmm. a little visual gag there, but she's not wearing a floral gown or a dress or a nightie or anything like that in that scene. She's wearing jeans mm-hmm. and like a red blouse. She's wearing casual clothing. Mm. And, and she's reading a world travel magazine and then switches it back to a fashion magazine. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a melding there. I think the relationship is almost saved. In this moment, and I, I thought that was an interesting way to. to I would say it was it. solidified. I think it, yeah. that's probably the. I think this film, what happens to them, consummates their relationship. It by the conclusion of the film, they do actually concede their inner relationship. Yeah. Um, what would have been really interesting was, and I was looking for it in the last shot, and it's not there. Oh, okay. I was thinking potentially there might be a wedding ring on her, but that uh. wasn't. Because that's uh, obviously uh, quite a big motif of the film um, in which that would be obviously him fully consolidating because he would then marry someone. Right. Um, which, at the, if you know, if you take his first interactions, it, that was something that he shunned or he didn't think was attainable for him right. in the near future. So It's like Stella says, the... the intelligence has not done humanity any good or whatever whatever the line is. No, but you're right. It is interesting because they do... It feels quite progressive in their viewpoint on marriage and love and they mm-hmm. have those conversations, you know, Jeffries and Stella do at the beginning. That is interesting and you're right. It could also visually echo the fact that she was wearing the the wedding ring to put the guy away, mm-hmm. you know, as the final proof that he did murder his wife. But I guess that's interesting. I just think... In terms of the timeline, it wouldn't make sense because obviously that's probably only like a couple of days yeah. after the fact. Um, and I think could see yeah. why that wasn't yeah in there. Yeah, but. I I I see what you mean. It would have been nifty, but I I think it gets the point across. Even if you don't way. call to it, it's just there. Yeah, no, it, no, you're right. It would have been interesting. I I I think you're right. I think you're right. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, so the other thing, I guess we should talk about Lars. Is it uh, Forwald? Forward, whatever the guy. Let's call him Lars. So mm. the uh, the guy was stalking this entire time. It's yeah. interesting because there's a lot of characterization, even though we don't really ever see him talk or. No, well, a lot uh, of the characterization is either from word of mouth of the characters we do hear, yeah, or 
the projection we as the viewer or or from obviously Stuart's point of view we're projecting onto him mm-hmm. um we see in the very early stages of this film sort of the devolving nature of his relationship with his sick wife at the right. time um the fact that there clearly seems to be some form of disconnect you know we're following him and they're having arguments in which then he goes out to the garden because the garden is clearly his his place of Mm-hmm. solitude and grounding and then when he tries to do you know nice romantic gestures he gets mocked or at least we perceive that because obviously yeah, we don't yeah. hear a lot of it and what's cool as well about that image just a quick visual thing is i love when they're having the argument that it's through two different windows mm. that they're sort of separated by a wall it's just a clever little visual thing that there's a lot doing. of really clever literally mm. the fact that hitchcock one of his strongest things i think is the use of realism and how important it is in this film that our perception of what is put in front of us is is pretty much essentially all that we have and mm. and it's like we can hear them yelling but we can't make out because of the walls between us and them so we know they're yelling or they're raising their tone at each other but a lot of the audio is indistinct and the fact that we don't get to ever leave really Stuart's eyes mm. like um Jeffrey's eyes um is so important and like you said he finds really clever motivations to get a little bit closer into scenes you know with the making um jeffrey's character a photographer who Mm. has access to these you know massive lenses and with really you know high focal lengths or or having uh you know him have binoculars because of course he'd have binoculars he's roughing it out in the middle of nowhere and stuff like everything in his his apartment is motivated there's Mm no um outer sourced stuff and i I really quite love that and and watching obviously we watched you know lars's relationship uh deteriorate over the the first act of the film so when something does unfold we can kind of see that happening i mean i I like one of the first interactive scenes that we see Lars interacting with his sick wife. I was like, yeah, he's going to be the one who kills his wife. That's that's who we're following for this. <laughs> you, you can tell straight away. Yeah, because that's funny because I was watching not really thinking about that. I wasn't like trying to predict who's what or who's this. Um, I, I, I was enamored just by the camera work. But then on the flip side, later on in the film, for a good chunk of it, I was like, is this going to be a complete misunderstanding? And the only reason I even thought that is because of the Simpsons spoof episode, Bard of Darkness, which... That's not even the right film there. I just think like some <laughs> Woody Allen it. films, like Manhattan Murder Story, something right, yeah. that ends up being nothing, really. <laughs> well, that was the whole thing, because it's Bart spying on Flanders. Mm-hmm. He thinks he killed his wife, and then it turns out she actually did just leave town. And There's like all of these random things that explain away all of the suspicious behavior. It's so funny. Um, and i got to rewatch it now that I've seen the film, of course. Uh, but it was very, very late in the film when I realized, like, oh, he really did kill her. Even, even her holding the wedding ring, I was like, I'm still waiting for that, that thing, that little thing to drop. That it's all just a big thing, and it's that final scene when they, they're finally confronting each other, and he basically admits to us, like, oh, okay, he did do it. <laughs> like yeah. I held on a long time before I was like, and I yeah. like that, like the the fact that the the moment comes when he picks up the phone. And he realizes Lars is the one on the other end of the phone. Oh, that's, and that's how he works moment. out. And it's like you, you. I hit pause at that point, and I realized there was only seven minutes left. And I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> like you keep <laughs> me going right until the end. Yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah. You're, 
you're really holding out. And I think he does. Yeah, he's fascinating with that because obviously after that scene, there's a when I say that epilogue scene, that epilogue scene's less than a minute. Like it's one it's, shot. Yeah, it's one shot. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's that jib shot we talked about yeah. earlier. No, but you're right. It all leads up to that, and that is the one example where the camera does leave the apartment is when when uh, Jeffries himself is thrown out of a window. <laughs> That's the one time where the camera actually leaves the apartment, which is quite funny. And you feel and and that scene, the way they pace that scene, where it's like he uses the flash bulb. Oh, that's to, great. To stop it. And that's what I was talking about with the film reel stuff that they clearly would have had to use some sort of um, uh, post-production on the film reel effect to mm. give that red burn and, and stuff. I'm not sure. I've Well, I'm sure that would have been in the original cut. But yeah, you, yeah. That might have been an extra level. But when they do sort of effects like that, they have to edit it onto the reel. Yeah, and exactly. And that's what I always found so fascinating, how they did that sort of effect Yeah. on the reel. Like, how would you do that? Like... And a big props to this, the fact that it is a Technicolor film because, like, just having those three layers of color. I f- I'm thinking of The Wizard of Oz. I don't know if it's the same process in this film, but it's very complicated. They had color the film back in, so back in the day. So much nicer in color, doesn't it? <laughs> just like it was. The funniest thing is what Psycho is like nearly 10 years after this film, or like five or six years no, after. It's black this and film. white, yeah. It's black and white, and it's just like I would watch this film in a heartbeat over watching Psycho again. I like black and white films too, but. I, I I just love like that color, the color palette from fifties and sixties colored films. It's it's interesting, such isn't a, it? It's, it's got such a, a unique look. It's so nice, especially yeah. when westerns used it and they had those like the reds really and the oranges really yeah, come out. Yeah. Um, I'm always thrown up by the skin tones though. Skin tones are a little weird, but but if, if skin tone weird or not, Grace Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> She's she she looks alright. She's got a future in this. She's got a future in this. I just uh, something about something about like that dress style from the fifties and sixties too Mm. for men and women. They just they looked so classy and just like. But Grace Kelly has got to be like easily one of the prettiest. Like yeah, of that like that Hollywood starlet pretty. You just like blown away. It was one of those things, and I'm not usually like. Which is kind I'm, of adds to why Jeffrey, <laughs> Jeffrey's is even more of a, a, a tool because you're like, <laughs> he's just so dismissive, and it's like, yeah, yeah, dude, no, she's exactly. offering. I'm sorry. Well, I'm, even the shot where they introduce her, where she like leans right into the lens, like that's such a purposeful. Look how gorgeous this Hitchcock blonde is in this film. And I, I, just I take think a look I kind of like their dynamic. I like that she is a, a rich, self, uh, rich, successful businesswoman who's like throwing all this money at him, and he's the one. Yeah. It's kind of a, I would say it's probably a, a subversion of gender roles because normally that would be the other way around. The man would be the yeah. one who's rich, who's throwing all the money at the. Well, well, it it is a subversion, but then they play into that mode where Jeffrey's like he's embarrassed by that or he feels threatened by that almost yeah because it, i i feel like those might be excuses that he's making well oh you, you know you're too perfect and you wouldn't go down in my i think those are excuses because maybe as a result of the time he is threatened by that success i don't know i don't know she married a prince ah, found yeah. that out i was like oh, i go. was like Grace, I like it's such an great, iconic name. grace scott great she, <laughs> she married uh the prince of monaco yeah, right. I did read that actually. Yeah. See, I was reading a lot about Hitchcock blondes, and uh, I was starting to get them confused a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing, and that's the whole thing of the Hitchcock twenty twelve film. 
is he's getting Hitchcock blondes and stuff. Scarlett Jansen's one, but that's a whole another story. I haven't seen that film yet proper, but it is yeah. it is interesting though because like obviously I find this film is obviously you know it's obviously deliberately voyeuristic. Mm-hmm. I mean voyeurism is literally what the film is pretty much about. Um, but the way he looks at her, I don't think he ever looks at her like. He never looks at her as I think you saying that she he might perceive it as a threat. I can I can buy like to threat to his masculinity, right? Um, absolutely. Um, I could see that point, but I like obviously I don't think they ever over sexualize her in this film, too. No, no. Um, well, it's all like her fashion sense. It's all in service of that change in the last scene, which she does. Swap to a casual clothing where it's like, yeah, th- there is there is more of a personality there, behind the. There's look. a really powerful scene with with you know Grace Kelly and and, and James Stewart in you know obviously you know Lisa and Jeff, um, where they're actually looking over across from them and and they're looking at there's a ballet dancer that mm. that lives kind of directly across and she's always in you know, dance attire or lingerie, like she's, you know, and, and it's the middle of the summer, so, and they make it very clear that it's quite hot. Like, the yeah, people, yeah. The reason the couple's sleeping on the balcony is because there's no air going into yeah. the house. Yeah, well, the reason hot. everyone's windows are open, the reason there's no privacy um, in this little courtyard anymore. Yeah, yeah it's so great. it's really hot. And so, obviously, that's motivated, but, of course, like, there's a, a scene where she has three guys coming over and they're probably a, an arraignment of wealthy businessmen and... And they're all kind of, you know, she compares the men to wolves. And there's a mm. really, in, I think it's probably one of my favourite, if not my highlight scene, to be up there. Interesting, okay. Because it's a really good scene that really helps build her character and start to correct James Stewart, you know, Jeffrey's character's perception of her. That, mm. you know, she's, just because she's perfect, this image is is constructed, it's worked for, and, and it does tie in a little thing like and she earned the the ability to have this perception you know she isn't just someone who got a handout or she was pretty and that's what got her i think it starts to talk about the work ethic and then the fact that she also has to deal with that stuff you know the fact Mm. that i think the reason she likes stewart's character of, of jeffrey's as much as she does is because he's willing to be very blunt and open mm. and expressive of how and transparent like there is an earlier scene with them when he says that I just say the truth. I say what I'm feeling and I'm honest to you. And she actually withdraws what she was at. Like, she's like, well, you're right. It's like, it's nice to actually have that kind of person mm. that is, you know, though she's hurt by the things saying you couldn't toughen it out in Pakistan with me then. Yeah. But she also appreciates the blunt honesty of it too. Mm. Um, and I think that obviously that all builds so that that wolves you know that wolves comparison um because you know when Stuart's character jeffries goes oh well you get this probably get this all the time too and it's like and then she sort of spins it on him it's it's a really powerful scene i think yeah no it's interesting and even just like their commentary on you know when they are watching across it's like oh well she doesn't actually love him even if that's the one she's kissing like just that they're able to bounce off each other and read you know it's like the old thing where like the, the couple's in a restaurant they sort of look around and like oh what's that guy's deal and they make up stories about one other of the people. best things to do when you're in a relationship <laughs> for sure yeah it kind of had that little twist on it which i liked 
Um, but it gets, yeah. it gets tough though because like you'll see couples that are like clearly in a really bad place, and then <laughs> if your relationship ever gets in a really bad place, then there's probably couples looking at you going, "Oh boy, oh, that's look, a, look at these morons <laughs> over here. <laughs> That'd never be us." <laughs> Oh my goodness, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I mentioned like they have this like banter and this witty back and forth, and it's funny because I'm I'm curious as well. Like I said, I'm curious of a version of this film where where Jeffries is a complete and utter loner. I'm curious of a version of this film that is a bit more naturalistic in terms of the dialogue, and I, I'm wondering if this is just a byproduct of the '50s and how you know we talked about Trumbo esque earlier, where like screenwriters that was their job was to make witty dialogue that entertained audiences and crowds like it didn't necessarily need to be naturalistic or realistic or any of those kinds of things um i don't know if, if you thought the same way or you you like the witty banter i mean i like that style of writing right it's very product of the time like you said um would this film be more entertaining with a more realistic voyeur like pure voyeur Ristically motivated um, dialogue. Mm. It probably would be creepier, um, right? Obviously, it wouldn't. You know, you need be, your characters to be charismatic if they're doing uh, creepy the, things the like worst, they are. The worst that Jeffries gets is a small talk about being a peeping tom at the right. start, and mostly, such an innocent way of putting that phrase. <laughs> and the fact that they could go to prison for a couple of years for being nosy. But the fact of the matter is, it's he's not doing anything that no one else is doing. He's just doing it more intensely, I guess. And yeah. for the most part, he, he's doing it solely because he has, he literally can't go anywhere else because yeah. he's in, you know, he's, he's got nothing to do. Fighter by his chair. And uh, I think um, it would be interesting if there was a grittier depiction of this, this film mm. even. Um, because uh, there are definitely films out there that have that, like that pure voyeuristic, like someone look outside looking in, observing. I mean, we, a couple of weeks ago I talked about one hour photo, right? And yeah. sort of how Robin Williams' character sort of uh, projected himself into that family's life and yeah. followed that family's life, and it definitely has correlation. Um, obviously, that's the way that he projects that sort of stuff is through the photos, whereas in this case, it, it's way more. Uh, tactile in the sense that it's literally just being in the location and, mm. and sort of absorbing the culture around you. And it's interesting because it's like, especially if you live in a city and stuff, and I mean, if you've ever stayed in like a hotel or anything like mm. that, there are times you look out your hotel window and you look down at the street and you look down and you look across, especially I've, I've stayed in some older hotels in, in New York even. And, it, you know, like one of them I stayed in, um, it's the middle of winter and there was no ventilation in the, the shower. Oh, no. So when the hot steam would come out, we had to open the window to make sure the steam would go out because it, yeah. there was no um, fan to stop it. So it was really funny because the way the shower was positioned, you would be completely naked with the window open <laughs> just by just the, the positioning and layout of the room. And I, yeah. I thought it was really interesting because we were only like, you know, five or six floors up so there were buildings across from us that we could see into yeah yeah and i'm there just stark naked having a shower <laughs> while the steam it's an interesting sort of like the fact that you could look into people's rooms and yeah stuff. exactly well i've always i've always had well not always but like there was an idea recently i had when i was sort of in this gridlocked freeway you know everyone's sort of beeping 
waiting to push in and I was like loudly singing to my music and I was sort of I noticed someone the car in front of me the girl like must have noticed me in a rear view mirror and just started laughing mm-hmm. like because I was like being really bombastic about it and I had that idea of like that's a kind of a cool little mini doco maybe of like trying to get people's attentions in cars and making them laugh or mm-hmm. getting that reaction out of them because you're right it's, it is fascinating to see people's behavior and how they react to certain yeah. things, which is what this film's all about. I wanted to say quickly before I forget as well, there is that one line that Stella has, which I don't think, I think most people kind of brush over it. But when she's talking about how she predicted the crash of 1929, um, but how it wasn't some sort of economical thing that she discovered, it was the fact that she met this dude who she knew was involved in some way. Mm-hmm. And that he had, what was it, like a stomach issue? Yeah. Um, I have it written down. And he worked for General Motors. Right. Oh, that's it. A kidney element. Jeez, that's a hard word to say. Mm -hmm. Kidney element. Um, But yeah, just the fact that like she predicted it based on this guy's behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, why would he have this? Why would he be going to the toilet 10 times a day? So I just thought that was like an extra little layer of of noticing people's behavior and and how it affects someone. I mean, it plays into... Um, Jeffrey's mindset when he mm. sees that, you know, um, in the middle of the night he's leaving the house three times, yeah, and, yeah. and why would he be leaving in the middle of the night? Why have we not seen the wife for a couple of days? Just like, all of those questions bubbling up, yeah. And no, a lot of the stuff right. is, it's uh, at least at the earlier days, it's mostly conjecture, and they have to slowly, you know, build their evidence piece by piece. Well. Everyone around him is telling them, you know, like the private detective saying, "Hey, you're wasting your time. You're mm. you're projecting, you're projecting these stories on." And and we do that as humans, you know. Yeah, we good, exaggerate and we we guess, you know, we make we, foolish assumptions. We, we take that. Um, uh, we take when we, you know, if you and I sit in a restaurant and we, you know, we people watch for a period of time, we often are thinking of very extreme examples if you know, mm. a couple doesn't look happy or a family doesn't look happy where we're automatically think oh they probably had a really big fight you know or, or this happened or this maybe happened or this maybe happened and the fact is that's all conjecture you yeah know, it's just us you know not using any sort of evidence and that's sort of what it starts with and they slowly build their case and I just think this film is fascinating from that idea and like yeah. you said you know you take it's not just in in a little apart obviously back then this would have been an incredibly original idea of and would have i would have loved to have gauged viewer response to this film mm. when it came out because you know pe- especially people lived in cities do they start like looking at other people <laughs> like start projecting that sort of yeah story, i heard a uh, narrative i heard the uh the lenses were sold in high stocks that year you know <laughs> binoculars and went for like, the roof you know, 20 years later you've got like coppola's the conversation where it's like mm. hackman's characters listening in on couples conversations and sort of the same thing when you do it's like do you, when you have the ability to to eavesdrop most humans pursue it and actively try and do it you know have you ever yeah. seen you know, even you get you get pocket dialed and you try and listen to the conversation. Oh yeah, that's a I big one too. I'm, I don't do that, but I know multiple people that do do oh, that. No, I can't. I've, I never get pocket calls, so I never have an opportunity to. When do it, it happens, though, you, you, 
there is a part of you. The first part of me always goes, oh, should I listen to this? I'm like, no, I shouldn't listen to this. This is not uh, my conversation. You're a stronger man than I am. <laughs> no worries. Do you have anything else you'd like to add, Jake? No, I think, um, well, before we jump into highlights, I just want to mention a couple random things. I did say that this felt like a budget film in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. A very impressive budget from the sale lease. Yes. But some of the things I noticed is that there were plenty of shots out of focus which was sort of bugging me a little bit, but, you know, that's okay. I get it. And the other thing, if you remember, there's a weird helicopter comp shot. Very early on, I was like, why? Very strange. Why is there a helicopter landing? Like, what's the purpose? It looked pretty decent, to be yeah. fair. But you could, like a you, weird thing where they had to use the film and expand it. Or yeah, something. well, you, you can tell it's two different angles comped over each other, which, 1954, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. It looks really good, but you can tell from the angle... You're like, oh, yeah, that's like someone Maybe filming. Maybe that up moment in Goodfellas, like he's always looking up at the helicopters. It's paranoia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite get that. Was it, like, did someone... <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, it's fine. It's fine. All right, well, um, yeah, what's your highlight scene, Zeke? I really, I'm going to abstain away from the one I talked about earlier in the okay. show because, you know, I've already fleshed that one out. I really do like sort of the final sequence of this film when... Uh, La is it Lars? Yes. Um, when he actually does, I love that suspenseful drop moment when, um, he's called the police over and then picked up the phone again. And he's kept talking only to realize Lars is the one at the other mm. end of the phone, and and then he comes over and just that very slow build, and and we really get a feeling of his size in that in that scene. Yeah, like he's such a big man and. And we really do feel like you know Stuart's character Jeffries is in a, is in a lot of trouble, and the way that he uses his flash to yeah. stall him, and it, you know he takes it cell by cell by cell. Basically, I love the uh, flip uh, perspectives in that scene. How we mm. go to Lars's perspective of the the red distortion glare, and and then on top of that, we you know we really feel like this is going to be, you know, when he gets there, we feel quite unnerved by him. And that sequence is quite, quite uh, tense. Yeah. And obviously plays into that suspense really well. Well, it's funny because that kind of also is my highlight scene, but more specifically sort of the, the, the middle scene of those two steps, you describe the, the, uh, the anxious element of, of waiting for him to appear in the room. And then of course the ultimate part when he's getting flashed but my highlight scene stems from the scene that happens sort of in between those two beats where they're both standing there in shadow and there's a split moment where for me at least i had this realization of oh i don't know who's got the power shift right now because yeah at first it's the big guy who has two working legs knocking at your door thinking that you've been spying on him it's like well you have been spying on him but then when they're both in shadow and he's asking, what do you want? You know, I, I, don't, I don't have this much money. He And then you realize, like, he has no idea how much we, the audience, or, or, or um, Jeff, as a character, knows. And you're like, oh, wow. Like, does Jeff have the power here just by sitting still? By seemingly not reacting to this? Mm. That was like a cool little little flash moment right there. And then, and then obviously, the realization that he chases after him in the flashing you're right it's just all great, it's great perfect movie. payoff to the film love and it drama as well rear window as we discussed earlier in the show is currently available on stan 
Yeah, that's how I saw it. You can probably I, buy it. Well, Criterion have a Blu-ray of it. Also, so you most Stan. definitely can get it on disc. Speaking of Stan, Jake, what is new to cinemas and streaming platforms this week? Coming to Stan this week, if you watched this film, Rio Window, for Stan as well. Later this week, you can also watch The Crudes, the 2007 TMNT film, which I have a soft spot for. I love the Ninja Turtles. Uh, Zack and Miri make a porno. And the spoof film, superhero movie, and disaster movie, if you so dare. <laughs> if you're into that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. No bueno. Uh, coming to Disney Plus this week is The Sandlot 1 and 2, which my sister is going to love that. She adored those films. And uh, coming to cinemas this week, it's actually a pretty big week. The cinemas are strap in, Zeke. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> Let's go. Werewolves Within sees a forest ranger take on the responsibility of finding who or what is lurking amongst the Snowden residents of a small town. This comes to Hoyts later this week. Uh, coming to Looney, you have No Man's Land, which is actually a stage play broadcast of two aging writers who go out on the night of drinking. They are played by none other than Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. That's a, that's a duo right there. That's going to be pretty fun. Um, so that is like an actual recording of a stage play, as far as I'm aware of. So Charles and Eric. Hmm? Charles and Eric. <laughs> there you go. I, I do not watch the X Men really. Oh, I've at least you got the reference. I got it. I knew where you were going because I was going to write a comment like, "Wow, they're working together." I was like, "They've already worked together, you dumbass." <laughs> uh, the Sparks Brothers, which is actually Edgar Wright's first documentary, which I've seen him promote a load of on Instagram. So he's got a big year ahead of him between this and last night in Soho. The documentary follows the titular band and its members, Ron and Russell uh, Mail. M-A-E-L. Mal. Mail. Don't know how to pronounce it. But that is the Sparks Brothers. If you're interested in them or interested in Edgar Wright like I am, then maybe I'll go check this one out. And finally, the Revelation Film Festival starts this week. It takes place. I think it opens on the 1st, so the first day, uh, July 1st. And uh, I'm going to give a little shout-out here. On the 3rd of July, you get to see the premiere uh, of my friends at Halo Films' third film, First Docker, The Last Horns of Africa which sees two uh, conservation heroes who put their lives on the line to protect the rhino in their care. And the trailer looks really dope. So um, go support our friends at Halo. Watch the film. It looks great. And uh, yeah, Revelation Film Festival. It it feels like five seconds since the Revelation Film Festival mm-hmm. has played. And that's because it played in December. So because of COVID, it's been a very short turnaround period. <laughs> But that's it. This was coming to cinema and streaming. No dramas. Well, we are moving into our 1940s for the countdown through the decades retrospective only. Getting this is there. our second last one. Yeah, so, wow. Jake, who was on the poll and what are we watching? So, uh, unfortunately, this week, Red River lost the vote. I think at this point, we're getting kind of obscure with some of the picks. I actually never heard of Red River until uh, you brought it to my attention earlier. Um, but it did not win the vote. It lost 10 to 3 from something that's a little less obscure. But I'm very excited, nevertheless, to talk about it. Next week on the show, we're watching Pinocchio. Ladies and gentlemen, the master showman, that's me, and by special permission of the management, is presenting to you the one and only Pinocchio. When Walt Disney gave you his first full-length feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs became a nation's friends. You made Dopey the star of his day, 
Hi-Ho, your favorite song. Now Walt Disney brings you his first and only full-length feature since Snow White. Which one of this grand new group of characters will be your favorite? Will it be mischievous little Pinocchio himself? Will it be Geppetto, the kindly old woodcarver? Will it be fluttery, frivolous Cleo, the goldfish? Or will it be roly-poly Figaro? Might be those wily crooks, Jay Worthington Fowlfellow and Raggle Taggle Gideon. Or perhaps Stromboli, the gypsy-like puppet master. Will it be the villainous coachman? Will it be Lampwick, a tough little boy your folks never wanted you to play with? Or will it be Monstro the Whale, the biggest, noisiest character ever to come to the screen? Or will it be Jiminy Cricket, the only conscience with a sense of humor? Woohoo! And always let your conscience be your guide. The iconic puppet Pinocchio tries to prove himself truthful, brave, and selfless in an attempt to become a real boy with the assistance of Jiminy Cricket, his assigned conscience. You know, I can honestly say I don't think I've ever seen this film the whole way through. I'm going to punch you in the teeth. (laughs) (laughs) I try. I think I just honestly, there's a big portion. It's like, I don't think I've seen The Little Mermaid the whole way through. I don't think I've seen Cinderella the whole way through. I think there's a big block in the early Disney works. I just haven't Mm. ever gotten around to watching. And obviously as as an adult... Watching Cinderella is not something that has been inclined for me. And Pinocchio, I guess I... Yeah, I don't think I have watched it yeah. the whole way through. It's I've watched w- bits. I haven't... You know, I've, I have some bad ones. Though. I haven't seen... Uh, what's it? Fantasia? Never seen Fantasia. I've never seen Fantasia either. Uh, but that also was a 1940 Disney's animated film on Disney+. Plus. So they tie in pretty well together then in Pinocchio. And of course, there's many, many, many versions of Pinocchio. Um, there's you one try that... and watch the new one? Didn't that... Isn't oh, that... It is on Disney Plus, yeah. I'd mm. love to watch the new one. There's mm. tons. Uh, the guy who did Life is Beautiful, he also did his own version, Pinocchio, in like 2002. There you go. Which apparently is. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> apparently, it's something. <laughs> that's, that's all I know. Okay. Um, but we are indeed talking about the 1940 classic. So uh, don't get confused when you decide to watch Pinocchio later this week. No <laughs> trouble watching. Well, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Side Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with the 1940 version of Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs>